Well, I invite you to open your Bible this morning to the book of First Peter. We're continuing this teaching series on the uh, on the Reformation, the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. This morning, we're going to be talking about the priesthood of all believers. I remember when I uh, attended the very first ordination service in my life. It was uh, a friend of mine, actually the, the, the man who mentored and discipled me as a new believer when I was a teenager. He had surrendered to the ministry and was starting to, to go to school and work on his theology degree. And our home church in Kentucky ordained him on a Sunday evening. And one of the things I remember about that service is, is during it we were standing and singing as a congregation that, that hymn, I Love to Tell the Story. And in just that moment, with me already having started preaching as a 17-year-old and he, he being ordained, singing that song at that moment and, and, and you know about telling the story of Jesus, just sharing the story of Jesus, it just moved me. And I stood there and you know, I, I cried. It was, it's one of, the most, one of those moments. Can you look back over your life and remember some of those, uh, what in Scripture we would call Bethel moments, some of those moments where God just showed up and touched your heart? That was one of those moments for me as we were singing that great hymn about telling the story of Jesus. And the last year or so, our church here has ordained two young men who grew up here. <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, Will Crude and David Bennett grew up here in our Sunday school and our ministries, and now they're in ministry serving in, in local congregations. And, uh, and, and for both of those, their dads are, are deacons here. And we had the ordination service for those two to see their dads, see their dads go through that line and lay hands on and anoint and pray over their sons as they were being ordained to the gospel ministry. Moody, just moving moving moments. <clears throat> and, and several times when we ordained deacons, <clears throat> excuse me, when we ordained deacons, we've had uh, fathers participate in the ordination of their sons as deacons. And I just got to tell you, that's, that's a glorious thing. It really is. It's, it's just one, one of the benefits of, of being a little bit older in life and being in one church a long time is you get to see those kind of things. And and they're, they're just moving that, that God is working in the different generations and God is working in, in, in people's lives. And when we ordain someone, whether it's as a deacon or as a minister of the gospel, the church is affirming that we concur, we agree that God's hand is on that person and that God has called them into ministry. God has called them to serve as a deacon. We're saying, God, we agree with you. We're, you know, this person stepped forward and and they, they're saying, this is God, my sense of God's work in my life. And we're saying, yes, we agree. We see it. And we affirm that and we, we set you aside for that special ministry. And we, we have a role to play in that. But let me ask you a question. When, when we ordain someone to the gospel ministry, when we ordain someone as a deacon in, in our uh, church, does that mean that they have some kind of special standing with God? Does that mean they have a privilege available to them that's not available to others in this room who are believers in Jesus but have not been ordained as a deacon or non-ordained as a, as, as a minister? Does that mean that those who've been ordained have some kind of special privilege that's limited, that's unique to them, and you can't share in that, in, in that uh, standing? Does it mean that those who are ordained are better than everybody else as believers, that, that other believers are somehow in, in the kingdom of God, in the economy of God, less than those who've been ordained? Does, does it mean that you as a follower of Jesus Christ 
are dependent. Now hear me. Are dependent on those who've been ordained for your relationship with God that somehow you, there, there's some things when it comes to, to Christ, to God, that you can only receive and experience through them? Does it, does it mean any of that? What's the answer, church? You're pretty smart. No. They're not special. They don't have privileges, not available to other believers. You're, you're not dependent on them for your relationship with Christ. What it means is that just as God has a will for all of us, God calls all of us to serve him. He simply called these to serve him in a certain way. Yeah, it's a unique way. It's a special way. But it's simply their way of doing what God's called them to do, of serve. And we're all called to do that. They don't have some standing with God that makes them special in comparison <clears throat> to every every other believer. <clears throat> and I want you I want you to see how God looks at you. Okay? For those this this is true for everybody, whether you've been ordained or not. But especially this morning, I want those of you who've never been ordained, because God's not called you to preach. God hasn't called you to be a deacon. You've never been ordained. I want you to I want you to see this in Scripture. It speaks to how God sees you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Words on the screen if you don't have a Bible or a tablet or a smartphone. He says, you also as living stones. Now, the you is plural. He's talking to all the believers to whom this letter is written, all of us. It's plural. And notice the stones is plural. He said, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. It's like each of us who are followers of Christ are a stone that's in the, 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 the walls, the house of God, the family of God, the church of God, the people of God. And, and Christ is the foundation the cornerstone, but we're all stones in that spiritual house, each and every one of us. Additionally, he says, as, as, a, as this spiritual house, this family, this residence of God where God dwells, you, all of us, all of you, plural, are holy priesthood. And as such, your role is to offer up to God spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And notice he says, you're, you are a holy priesthood. Holy at its essence means you are set apart, dedicated to, possessed by, belong to. We live moral lives, what we call holy lives, because of who we are. <clears throat> we belong to him, his possession. But notice he says, priesthood. God says you, 80-year-old believer, 18-year-old believer, long-time believer, new believer, someone who knows the Bible backward and forward and someone who knows very little about it, if you're a follower of Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you've been saved, you are part of God's holy priesthood. Now drop down a few verses and look at verse 9. 
says you're a chosen race. Here, a royal priesthood. Not just a holy priesthood, but a royal priesthood because you are priest to the king of kings. Lord of lords. We're a holy nation. We're, we're, it's as though we as the followers of Christ are God's own country. And you're a citizen in that country. people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light your salvation experience moving from spiritual darkness to spiritual life spiritual death to spiritual life a royal priesthood in the plural all of us not just some of us all of us and that means you you are a priest in the service of God and it's all because of your relationship with the crucified and resurrected Jesus. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Now, these opening chapters in Revelation are written to the seven churches in Asia Minor. So he's talking to multiple Christians in these seven different cities. And today, what we would think of as the, the western part of Turkey. And he said, from Jesus Christ, the faithfulness. The, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. He was the first one raised, and we'll all be raised from the dead as followers of Christ, etc., etc. At the end of verse 5, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. Do you know what the blood of Jesus did for us? When you place your faith in Christ, his blood does two things for you in these verses. Number one, releases you from your sins, cleanses, forgives. I want to, let me just stop for a moment and say to those of you in this room who've, or those watching on television or live stream who've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to say something to you. The only way you can adequately deal with your sin, and all of us are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No exception. The only way to have forgiveness is by placing your faith in Jesus who shed his blood on the cross for you. You can't be good enough to overcome your sin because no matter how good you are, from this day forward, there's still the sin of your past. And the only way to be washed clean is through the blood of Christ. And so when you place your faith in Jesus, two things happen. One, his blood cleanses us, releases us from sin. And then at the beginning of verse 6, he makes us what? A kingdom of priests. So the very moment you become a follower of Christ, you become a priest, a holy priest, a royal priest, a kingdom of priests <clears throat> to God. Now let me ask you a question. How do you see yourself? Hmm? When, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? How, how do you think about yourself? When, 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 when you're alone and nobody's watching and it's you and the laptop and you have access to anything you want on the Internet, how do you see yourself? When you're traveling for work or vacation and nobody there knows who you are, how do you see yourself? When you're at that neighborhood party or, or that work party and, and the booze is flowing and, and, and people are acting, you know, like teenagers, how do you see yourself? 
And when you're sitting in this room on Sunday mornings, how do you see yourself? When you're talking to your wife or husband, talking to your children or grandchildren, talking to your parents, talking to your neighbors, how how do you see yourself? Do, Do you understand who God says you really are? That you are his priest, royal priest, holy priest. Our kids, Stephen and Jacqueline, when they were <laughs> they were growing up, they used to get tickled. They 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 uh, they were used to wherever we went, somebody would likely recognize me, whether we knew them or not. I I remember it was it was funny to the kids. We were at the Grand Canyon. We 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 spent two or three weeks out west several summers ago, and took my mom with us. It was the first time she'd ever flown, and First time she'd been west of the Mississippi and and uh, California and Arizona and we we went up to the Grand Canyon and we're we're on this bus riding along the the, the west rim because I wanted I wanted to go out there for a sunset on the west rim I never seen the sunset on the west rim and I wanted to do that and so we're riding on this bus and I'm sitting there and my kids are giggling because this guy seated a few rows in front of us is turned around just staring at me. And it wasn't because I'm ruggedly handsome. (laughs) Come to find out he knew who I was. I didn't have a clue who he was. We, on that same trip, we were in San Diego and went to, I don't remember what they call it, you know, the old town, the the old village of original San Diego. And there's a really good Mexican restaurant. And I love Mexican food, especially when you get out to the Southwest and stuff. And, and, um, we're standing in line waiting for our table, and we're just standing there, and these people are walking by, and somebody walks by and says, Hello, Steve Hogg. <laughs> I don't know who it is. Come to find out they're from Rock Hill. No matter where you go. You see, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm used to seeing myself wherever, wherever I'm at in this world as a preacher. Because... I know there's people who know who I am, and I don't have a clue who they are. I'm used to that. That's that's not my sole identity, but it's part of my identity. I'm asking you, is, is the fact that you are a priest before God part of your identity? That, that everywhere you go, no matter where you are as a believer, as a follower in Christ, whether people there know you or not, In that moment, in that space, you are God's priest. And God sees you that way. And he has you there to function as his priest. So again, how how do you see yourself? What does it mean for us to be part of this royal, holy kingdom of priests, the priesthood of all believers? And by the way, don't don't ever use the phrase priesthood of the believer. It's always plural, the priesthood of believers, all believers. What does it mean to be part of that? Well, real quick, let me just show you a few things. One, it means you have bold access to God. You don't have to come into the presence of God with timidity and fear, with hesitation. God wants you to 
have the confidence to come boldly to his throne. Look at what the, the Bible says in, in the book of Hebrews chapter chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near. That means get, get, get close with confidence. Notice that. Get close with confidence to where? Where church? Where? Are you reading it up there? Where? Draw near to where? What is the throne of grace? It's the very throne of God from which his love emanates. He says, have confidence to draw close to the throne of God. Now, if you have been in church much, you, you know that in the Old Testament, the Jewish people had priests, and the priests were the only ones allowed to offer sacrifices on the altar. The high priest was the only one allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies in the back part of the temple itself where the Ark of the Covenant was. And yet God is saying, I want you to have confidence to, to come close to, near to my throne because that's when you find mercy and grace to help in your, in your moments of need. Look in Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 19. It's also on... On, on the screen there, he says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence, notice this again, confidence to enter the holy place. He's talking about the holy place in, in, in heaven that the, the holy of holies in the temple in Jerusalem symbolized. The, the high priest would go in there on the Day of Atonement with the blood that had been sacrificed out on the altar and, and he would sprinkle it and make atonement for the sins of the people. And God says, it's through Jesus' blood, not your own worth. It's through Jesus' blood, not your own accomplishment. It's through Jesus' blood, not your own goodness. It's through Jesus' blood, not what someone else does for you, that you can have confidence through through this forgiveness of Christ from, from the, that comes from the crucifixion and the shed blood of Christ when you place your faith in him, as we saw earlier in Revelation, that makes us a kingdom of priests. Through that, you can have confidence to enter into the very holy of holies, the very throne of God, the very presence of God. That's one of the benefits, if you will, of, of being part of this, this priesthood is bold access to God. But let me say this. It's not just bold access. It is direct access. Direct access to God and His throne. Notice uh, what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, Therefore there is one God, and how many mediators between God and men? How many? Come on, wake up, church. How many? One. And who is it? It's Christ. It's Jesus. You, you don't need to go through anyone else. You have not only bold access, but direct access to the person of God, to the throne of God through Christ. This, this teaching about the priesthood of all believers, this, this direct access to God was one of the uh, biblical teachings that was rescued and revived, if you will, during the Reformation. Because in the Catholicism of the Middle Ages in particular, God's grace was mediated. This is what they believed and what they taught and what's what most people believed, that God's grace was mediated through the church and through the priests, through the clergy. 
And without the church and without the clergy, you did not have access to the the grace of God. And and God used the sacraments of the church, baptism and the Eucharist, communion, Lord's Supper, etc., to infuse His grace into people. You, you, You did not have access to it without access to the sacraments. And only the priest, only the officially ordained, set apart priest of the church, could consecrate those elements and make those sacraments such that God's grace was infused into you. And so if you didn't have access to that, you didn't have access to grace, you didn't have access to salvation. It was a big deal. And what Luther and others did was they they said, no, that's not what Scripture teaches. To illustrate this, about 100 years before Martin Luther, there was another reformer named John Huss in the Czech Republic in Prague, who taught many of the same things that, that Luther did in the, in the early 1500s. He ultimately was condemned, excommunicated, and burned at the stake. But he was very popular in his, in his city there in the Czech Republic, and the people, because they liked him so much, wouldn't turn him over to the authorities. Do you know how, they, how the authorities got the people to, to turn on him? Hmm? The Pope issued an order that the church and the priests could not perform any of the sacraments for any of the people in that city. And without the sacraments being available through the church, they were not, they, they didn't have access to the grace of God, therefore their salvation was at risk. And in, under, under the fear of hell, because the church was withholding the grace of God, the love of God through the sacraments of, of the church, and the people, the people turned on Huss and he had to flee the city was eventually eventually martyred do you see the power that that can, that can exist if you have to be dependent on someone else for your relationship with God the power they have over you That's, that's why this biblical teaching that, that when you become a follower of Christ through your faith in the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ is so important because you have direct and bold access to God and you're not dependent on someone else for your faith. Now listen, brothers and sisters, listen. Every time you or someone else gets mad and blames the Sunday school class, blames the church, blames the preacher, blames the deacon, blames someone for your Christian failure, you're wrong. Because the only person responsible for your relationship with Jesus Christ is you. Now, do we influence you? Absolutely. Do you influence me? You better bet. (laughs) But ultimately, if I'm going to live for Jesus, it's because I choose to. And if you're going to live for Jesus, it's because you choose to. That's the freedom you have, the access you have. So stop pointing fingers and blaming people and man up, woman up, and own your responsibility as a priest before God to live like it. You know, one of the most powerful scenes in all of, all of God's Word is found in the Gospels on the day Jesus died on the cross. Three o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus died in that temple, in that Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant 
was located where, where only the high priest could go once a year on the Day of Atonement. And, you know, they'd tie a rope to him in case he died in there. Nobody could go get him. They had to pull his body out. That's how sacred that place was. On the day Jesus died, listen, there's this huge veil, this huge curtain that, that hid the Holy of Holies. You couldn't even see back into that room. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus died, shed his last drop of blood and paid the penalty for our sin, that veil, that curtain in the temple was torn by God, by the hand of God from the top to the bottom to say everybody can come to the throne of God and you don't have to go through anybody to get there. Now that also means, listen to me, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never believed in the resurrected Christ, you've not committed yourself to him, you've not been saved and born again, you are responsible for whether or not you ever see the throne of God. Because you have to make the decision for yourself. With freedom, we say this in America all the time, but it's true in your walk with God. In, with, with freedom comes responsibility. Not just privilege. Well, one more thing, and I'll be done here in just a moment. Our benefits, not only bold access and direct access to God, but another benefit is, is, is service to God. We get to serve God. We are saved to serve. In the, in the Old Testament, the priest served. Every follower of Jesus is to serve. Let me say that again. Every follower of Jesus is to serve. That's what priests do. How are you serving Jesus? What are you doing to serve Jesus? Now, there are many, many, many ways. I could spend a few weeks just talking about the different ways to serve Jesus. But let me just point out a few real quickly from Scripture, okay? First, I want you, I want you to look back in 1 Peter uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 5. That first verse we, we read this morning about us being a holy priesthood, it says we are a holy priesthood and our purpose is to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God, our, our sacrifices, our service. So what can you offer God? Many things, but here, here's, here's a few. Do you know one of the sacrifices, one of the ways you can serve God is to offer up prayers? Prayer. Revelation 8, 3, another angel came and stood at the altar, the altar of God in heaven. Holding a golden censer and much incense was given to him so that he might add it, add the incense to what? Prayers of whom? Who? All the saints. By the way, do you know what, what it means to be a saint? Same thing it means to be holy. You belong to God. You set, you're set apart. See, we, we make the mistake of thinking that the word holy and the word saint simply refers to purity and moral uprightness it does but the root word what it really refers to is you are consecrated to dedicated to belong to you are the possession of god and then everything you do flows out of that the moral attributes of a faithful believer are a byproduct of a result of the fact that we are saints that we are holy that we belong therefore we are to live holy and to live like saints 
But, but what he's saying in that passage in Revelation is that all the prayers of all who belong to God are there at the altar before God. And just like the priest in the Old Testament would offer blood or sometimes burn meat on the altar, one of the sacrifices, one of the ways we serve is our prayers. Again, how, how do you see yourself? And do you understand that when you are praying, you are offering a sacrifice to God, a, an act of service to God, and therefore our prayers are not just to be for ourselves? Intercession on behalf of others. Priests serve not just themselves, they serve others. You don't pray just for yourself and your own. You pray for others. It's an act of service. Intercession, that's what priests do. How many lost people did you pray for this week? By name. How many backslidden believers did you pray for this week? By name. How many sick and hurting people did you pray for this week by name? How many people struggling in life or needing a job did you pray for this week by name? How many people going through grief, depression, addiction did you intercede for? Did you act as a priest and say, God, I'm offering this prayer on their behalf to you as an act of service, as an act of sacrifice? Do you see yourself as a priest before God? See, being a priest is a lot more than, hey, I have the freedom to read Scripture. That's one of the benefits of it. But it's so much, so much more than that. Another way we can serve or offer sacrifices is praise. Our praise. In Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 15, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of what? A praise to God. That is the fruit of what? Lips. Now, there's video evidence in existence that uh, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> I wish God had given me the ability to sing pretty. He didn't. I guess that's to keep me a little bit humble. I don't know. But that doesn't mean I'm not to use my lips to offer praise to God. And you are to use your lips to offer praise to God. Not just when we sing, but when we talk. Let me ask you, do we offer the sacrifice of praise when we're sitting out in a restaurant somewhere and we're gossiping and criticizing somebody or something at church and people sitting nearby can hear? How does that bring any praise to Jesus? Mom and dad, parents, grandparents, let me ask you something. When your children or grandchildren are around you and they overhear you running down some deacon or some preacher or some church or some, you, you offering any praise to God when you do that? You're doing just the opposite. 
You see, priests want to protect the family of God. Priests want to protect the church of God. Priests want to protect the people of God. So use your mouth, your lips, your tongue to praise Him, not to tear down what what God's trying to do in this world. Third, we can offer up the praise or service, the sacrifice of, of doing good things, good deeds. In chapter 13 of Hebrews, again, verse 16, the very next verse, after the sacrifice of praise, he says in verse 16, do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, there it is again, God is pleased. Doing good. Just doing good things. Do good deeds. Do good things. Bless people. Bless this world. Make make earth a better place. Make Rock Hill a better place. Make your family better. Make your community better. Do good stuff. That's what we do as priests. And then fourth, generous giving. Now you say, all right, preacher, how did you get giving? You're going to put giving in there. Yeah, I am. Because God did. Look at verse 16. Do not neglect doing good and what? What's that, church? What? What is that? That's just being generous. Some of you just a little bit, you know, some of you, some of you are wound just a little bit too tight. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Some of you so tight you wouldn't. No, okay. Generosity. That's, that's a sacrifice. That's a praise. That's, that's a way of serving. That's what priests do. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, the words are on the screen. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. He said, I, I have received everything in full and have an abundance. And I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent. In other words, they collected an offering and sent it to Paul, this missionary and church planner, to help his ministry. And notice what he said. What you have sent has given me everything I need, and your gift, your generosity, is a fragrant aroma. I love tea olive bushes, if you know what they are. I have, I have four of them around our house. In fact, when we built the admin building out here, I ha- had to put them some so every In the winter, it's this bush, and, it's, and, and if you just go out and check them out, and they get these little white blooms on them in the winter, and, and, and it's just this sweet smell. And so I can get out in January when it's dreary and ugly, and I can be walking, and all of a sudden, ah, this sweet aroma. And Paul says the generosity of the people in Philippi is a sweet aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that's pleasing to whom? To God. To God. I've got to wrap this up. And the last one is to tell you a story. Back in 1 Peter, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, Look at it up there. We are a royal priesthood, etc., so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him 
who called you out of darkness into light just to talk to somebody about Jesus, to invite somebody to church, to put a good word in for Jesus, to brag on Jesus, to build up Jesus. So let me go back to where I started. How do you see yourself? Do you, do you see yourself as a priest? Do you understand who you are as a follower of Christ? And what does that mean for you today? What does that mean for how you're living and how you think and how you approach life? What's God saying to you this morning? I want you to talk to God about it, okay? Whatever God is saying to you, I want you to answer him. So let's stand. team's going to come lead us and sing in our invitation song. Pastors will be here at the altar. And you are invited to, to make your way to this altar. Kneel here on the kneeling bench and just talk to Christ. You're, you're a priest. You don't have to come through me or one of the pastors. You can go directly to God and talk to God about the things in your life you need to talk to him about.